Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. Notice the title of our lesson. What's it say? Price paid. What does that mean? Amen. Yes, indeed. And uh, Friday evening, uh, uh, Jeremy and I were coming back. Or Friday, we came back from uh, uh, Eastern Kentucky, working on a house down there for a couple of days. And we decided to meet Pam at a local restaurant here in Wilsonville. And uh, so she was there, and me and Jeremy came in, and right behind her, Mike and Sandy were sitting. And I told Pam, I said, you mean to tell me they're sitting there and you decided to stay here anyway? Well, she said she didn't see him at first. That was her excuse. But anyway, I, I was telling Mike a while ago, I said, you know, I was a little disappointed because when I went to pay the bill, uh, I was hoping she would say somebody already paid it for you. Well, actually, I didn't go, but Pam did. Well, again, I was kidding Mike and Sandy, but aren't you glad Jesus paid the bill? He paid it for us. Our family theme is the Savior suffered. Our objective is to live for Christ uh, in response to what he has done, his suffering and dying for our sins. Now, remember, who did he die for? Everyone, including us. He suffered for us. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 52 from verse 13 uh, to Isaiah 53 verse 12. Three key truths this morning. First of all, Jesus was despised and rejected by those he came to save. Second of all, he paid the penalty for our sins. Thank God for that. And the third thing is, Jesus is highly exalted because he suffered uh, to save us. Our Bible basics this morning, we're encouraged to uh, memorize the names uh, and order the books of uh, 28 through 31 of the Old Testament. Anybody have any idea? Now, I'll give you the uh, one before it is Daniel. That's, that would be uh, 27. Anybody want to take a guess? Hosea, thank you. And what's next? Joel. Amos and Obadiah. By the way, I have them written down here, okay? Just so you know. Just so you know. I, I can usually get, you know, uh, Daniel and uh, uh, Hosea, but sometimes I get confused after that. But we're encouraged to memorize those in the days ahead. So what does this story fit in the overall scope of the Bible? Again, we mentioned this several weeks ago uh, during the reigns of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Uh, this is when... Isaiah ministered. You know, I get started this morning. What's the word rejection mean? Rejection. What does it mean? Okay. Not accepted. How does that feel? Not good. You know, I don't know of anyone who said, well, I sure I can be rejected. We don't like that. It, it's a, it's a, it can be very, very hurtful. So in, in, in light of our study today, for the most part, how did people deal with Jesus? They rejected him. He understood what it felt like to be rejected. 
But you know what? There'll come a time when every knee will do what? They'll bow. Every tongue will do what? Confess that He is Lord. Well, today our text is really, we mentioned several weeks ago when we studied our, begin our study here in Isaiah, is a part of a series that's called the Servant Songs. And this is the fourth of that series. And these particular songs deal with a special servant of God. Now, almost every conservative scholar and a lot of liberal scholars believe that these songs do uh, describe the Messiah that was going to come years later. But I'll guarantee you this. After the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, would you agree the disciples read these verses differently? Understood them differently anyway. They saw them in quite a different light. Now remember, they were students of the Old Testament. And, you know, they had read those for years. But now that Christ had come and was crucified, they realized that these verses pointed to the Messiah. Our first key truth this morning is the fact that Jesus Christ was despised. He was rejected by those he came to save. Uh, let's uh, read, somebody volunteer, Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13, down through verse 15, end of the chapter. And then also, all the way to verse 3 of chapter 53. Wow, what a what a statement. Now, first of all, we know Isaiah is writing. That's why they're called Isaiah. But who is speaking here? God. These are God's word. And in chapter uh, 52 of Isaiah, verse 13, God said, Behold my servant. My servant. Now, it's interesting. Again, God is speaking, even though Isaiah is writing. What God is doing in verse 13, he is actually describing the ultimate position of his servant. The one who was going to be despised by man, the one who would be rejected, God says will one day be exalted and he will be lifted up. He will be celebrated. 
Now, my question is, did that happen 2,000 years ago? For the most part, was he separate? Was he celebrated? No. But God said it's going to happen. And if God says it's going to happen, what can you count on? It's going to happen. It will happen just the way God said. So man crucified him. He did die. He was despised. He was rejected. But did he stay in the grave? No, he rose again. And the Bible says he ascended back to the Father's right hand. Wow. Again, they rejected, but God raised him up and exalted him. Now, in verse 14, the Bible gives a description, if you will, uh, or tells how those who would encounter the servant, how they described him. And what do they say about him, about his appearance? How bad was it? Yeah. They were astonished. They were astonished. They were astonished of the, they would be astonished of the fact how bad he was beaten, how his appearance was marred. They would be appalled at that. And so, rather than being desirable, he would be disfigured, undesirable, despised, and rejected. Now, let me stop here for a minute. We know the story of Christ when he was here. And for the most part, he was despised. He was rejected. Now, did that catch him off guard? Was he surprised? No. God said it was going to happen that way. That's exactly how... It happened. But then in verse 15, it moves from the rejection to the result. And it says he will sprinkle many nations. Now, that's a, that certainly would be a, a picture from the Old Testament sacrificial system. A priest would take and sprinkle blood from a sacrifice, uh, sacrificial animals, and they would do that in consecration. Uh, on, the, on the Passover, when they left Egypt, what, what were they to do with the blood? Put it over their doorpost, right? And over the head of the door. And that was signified forgiveness of uh, their sins. So what's interesting, God says the servant's blood, the servant's blood would consecrate believers from nations all over the world. Now remember, the key here is, who did Jesus die for? Everyone, not just the Jews. He, now he was Jewish certainly uh, in his lineage, but not just the Jews. He died for the whole world. So what Isaiah is seeing here, this vision looks beyond the nation of Israel. It looks beyond the captivity in Babylon. It looks beyond to a, a time when God will have a message of salvation, not just for the Jews, but for who? For everybody. 
And that includes you and I. Now, here's what's interesting. God says there'll come a time when people will have nothing to say when they realized they had beaten and tortured and crucified the very Christ who came to save them. There'll come a time, there will come a time when they will recognize what they did. Daniel also read in Isaiah 53, the first few verses there. And the truth of it is, the first question is this, who has believed our report? What does that mean? Yeah, who's going to believe it? You know, who's going to believe that this servant has the power to save? Now remember, I'm glad for chapters. They weren't there originally. It helped us find our way around the Word of God. But that suffering servant, the one who was despised and rejected, whose visage was so marred they, they were appalled at looking at him, he was going to save the world. He was going to sprinkle the nations, his blood. But who in the world would believe that report? So it's interesting, in the latter part of chapter 52, we see God's perspective. But now in the first three verses here of chapter 53, we see the people's perspective. God's perspective was then, now it's the perspective of the people. Notice the pronoun you hear over again, over and over again, the first three the word we. Who does that mean? Everyone. And if Isaiah said we, who's he including? Everyone, including himself. Including himself. In fact, for the most part, we, the people, we saw no redeeming qualities in this servant. He would not appear to be special to anyone. In fact, the authorities, the religious leaders who should have known better, they rejected him, did they not? They rejected him. So my question was, did Jesus deserve that? No. In fact, John tells us in his gospel, Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. They rejected the very one who had made all things. Kind of interesting in chapter 52, there back in verse 15. The Bible speaks of how kings uh, would see, different rulers would see and understand that which they had not heard or even been told about. I think it's kind of interesting that does apply probably to Gentile nations who would not otherwise have any knowledge of God's written revelation like the Jews did. But I believe that prophecy looking ahead, if you will, to the time when the gospel would go out to all the world. And again, we have to understand 
we realize that God did call the Jews as a special people. But we have to remember God has always had a plan for Gentiles to come to know Him. So let's apply it. First of all, let me back up here for a moment. We know that the majority of the people in the day that Jesus lived on earth rejected him. My question would be, did everyone reject him? No. But also understand, for a lot of those who took a stand for Jesus back then, what did it cost them? Yeah, their life and everything. It cost them everything. So in the way of application, that's what we're, we're suggesting in our, in our study guide, to graciously stand up for Jesus no matter what others do. So my question this morning in light of that, why was Jesus rejected by the Jews? Now remember, John said he came to his own world. That's what his first own, he came to his own means, literally. And his own, literally his own people rejected him. Why, that being the Jews, why do you think, for the most part, the Jews rejected him? Why did they reject him? I think you're right, Dan. They didn't expect him to come that way. Not the Savior of the world. Now, again, to me, this is another evidence why we know God, man didn't write this Bible. I mean, if we were writing a story about God coming to earth, how would he come? Yeah, spectacular, white horse and, you know, whatever, all the glitter and glamour and all the uh, uh, celebration. That's not how it happened. But, you know, another thing they like about Jesus, he told them just do the best you can. It doesn't matter. You know, just just go with the flow. Is that what he told them? No. They didn't expect him to come the way he came. But do you know that Jesus challenged their sin? And he challenged the sin of the leaders. And they simply didn't like it. So they didn't believe that he was the Son of God. Now, you know... <laughs> Now think about this. And I don't know, you know, other than the fact that Satan had blinded their eyes, I've often wondered, how could they not see it? How could they not see it? It's interesting. uh, uh, Anybody here ever heard of Ben Shapiro? He is uh, an Orthodox Jew, and uh, he is... uh, I don't know what you call him, a commentator. Uh, I, I'm not sure what net, network he's with, not one of the three, but uh, he challenges a lot of these things about uh, gender, transgenderism, things like that. But he's not a Christian. But about a year ago, John MacArthur, he interviewed John MacArthur. It was a long interview, over an hour long, and I listened to it, uh, not at the time, but, you know, a, a, a tape of it. And <laughs> John MacArthur... He began sharing scriptures that, uh, not from John 3.16, not from 
Galatians or Romans, he began sharing from Isaiah. Why would he do that, I wonder? Well, because he's Jewish. And Mr. Pirro wouldn't think the old, the new stuff was even inspired of God anyway. But he takes those, and, and I, I never forget it. And he says to Vincent, very respectful, he wasn't dog, you know, wasn't talking down to him, but very graceful, very respectful. He said, can you not see that this is talking about Jesus Christ? And what, I, I thought, he's gonna, yeah, I thought, man, you know, Ben's gonna get saved here. He's gonna, how can he, how can he turn it away? And you, I could see the look on Ben's face. But yet he still wouldn't come around. Folks, it's so evident. But the problem is, if you don't want to see, guess what? You won't see. You simply won't see. And the Jews simply didn't want to see. So how can we, what are some ways that we can stand up for Jesus today? What are some ways that we can stand up for Jesus today? I think that's the best way we can do it. Be examples to those around us, that they might see Christ in our lives. Now, we don't have to be condescending. You know, folks, we have to understand something. Without the grace of God, we couldn't be saved. And so we've got great news to share and live that life for them. So key truth number one, Christ was despised. He was rejected by those he came to save. He came to his own world and his own people rejected him. Key truth number two, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Somebody read verses four through nine, please. I did earlier in the week. I went through this and and I underlined or I, on my Bible program I highlighted the word he and the word him. And I counted them, but I forgot to count how much I counted. But more than ten or twelve times, he and him. But it's interesting. There is a contrast of pronouns in verse four and five. We see what he did and what we did. What he did and what we did. Now we know that Jesus was punished. Did he deserve that? Who did? Yeah, we did. Not him. 
He paid the price for us. We should have paid it, but he paid it. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. Yet without what? Sin. He never sinned. Paul wrote that he who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteous of God in him. And so, he had no sin of his own. So whose sins did he die for? Mine and yours. Everyone's. Did they force him to die? Say it again. Yeah. He willingly died. In fact, according to the word of God, who could kill him? No one. Unless he did what? Yeah, laid his life down. So he... Voluntarily took the weight and guilt of our sin. He took the weight and guilt of my sin. And he took the punishment that I deserved so I wouldn't have to. Now, the problem was, in, in that day, even... You know, as, as Isaiah is prophesying here, the implication is that the people really thought the servant must have deserved what he got. Surely God was punishing him for something he had done wrong. Now the problem is, they were overlooking their own sin... And the punishment that they deserved. But Isaiah in verse 5 acknowledges. It wasn't his sin that put him there. Whose sin was it? It was ours. He's there because of us. And then when we get to verse 6. We find out we've all sinned. And God punished his servant in our place. And we're talking about not mistakes that were made, not an attempt to escape reality. He tied for all of us. Every last one of us. And it would be cause, and Isaiah included himself here, of Isaiah, because of you and I, everyone. That's the reason the servant was treated the way he was. 
Now remember, Isaiah is prophesying here. And he is foretelling the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking some, some 700 years before it took place. How could he do that? Amen. God told him. Now, again, let's fast forward. We know the rest of the story. Isaiah prophesied these things were going to happen. So my question is, how did the story unfold? Just like Isaiah said. Just like Isaiah said. So, give me this moment here. Christ came to the world. He surely expected to be treated like a king. He surely expected they would love him and, and, and honor him. So therefore, he was surprised when they rejected him. Of what I just said, what part is true? None of it. He wasn't caught off guard. He expected nothing less. Because we have to realize, and here's what's interesting. Even though Isaiah prophesied approximately 700 years before it actually happened, when did God have this on his mind? Amen. From the foundation of the world. God had always had a plan to send his son to die for our sins. Thank God for that. It's also kind of interesting. We'll get to verse 7 a little more about how the uh, servant reacted. Now, by the way, did Jesus suffer? Yes. Now, again, he was, he is the, he was the God-man. And I think part of the greatest suffering was spiritual. But do you think it hurt when they pierced his side? Do you think it hurt when they plucked his beard? But notice also he was suffering. <coughs> Excuse me. But my question is, what was he guilty of? Nothing. So, even though he suffered, even though he was innocent, what did he do to defend himself? Nothing. Nothing. Isaiah says he's like a lamb led to slaughter. And he didn't open his mouth. If my memory served me correctly, there were six trials that Jesus went through that night. Three were civil, three were religious. All were illegal. First of all, it was against the law to have a trial at nighttime. And other things that were illegal. But they were out to do what? Did they want justice? No. They're out to get him. And they were going to stop until it was done. And you read the accounts of that, whether before Pilate or Agrippa, 
They were amazed and they don't you have anything to say? Now the Bible says if he wanted to, he could call for help, right? He could ask for what? A legion of angels. And if he did, guess what would happen? Amen. They'd have shown up. They would have shown False charges, and yet he never defended himself. Could have called the angels, refused to do that. But you know what? Remember the night in the garden when he prayed? He made his mind up. He would move forward and do the will of the Father. Kind of interesting. We live in a world... Everybody demanding what? Their rights. I've got a right. How many know Jesus gave up his rights? He gave up his right for you and I. He gave up his right for the good of others. How many are glad that he did? Amen. Apply it. Give God thanks for paying the penalty for our sins. And live for him. Question number one. Why must a penalty be paid for our sins? Amen. God's holiness demands punishment for our sins. Understand the important part here. Jesus took our sins upon himself and it satisfied it satisfied God's righteous anger against our sins now by the way Christian one thing I want you to make sure one of the many things that we need to learn once we're saved God is no longer angry with you amen Jesus took that for us number one he was despised rejected by those that came to save. Number two, Jesus paid the penny for our sins. Number three, he is highly exalted because he suffered to save us. Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12, please. Thank you, Jordan. I have a question <clears throat> this morning. Was the crucifixion of Jesus an accident? No. It was not. Understand this principle, this fact. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the turning point of history. Now I realize that we're living in a world 
and even in a country that is fast moving away from God. But our calendar was really set up based on what? Say it again. The life and death of Christ. Before Christ. Now I realize AD didn't mean after death. I don't, that doesn't mean that. I've got the Latin word it means. But anyway, it centered around Christ. Because even man realized that Jesus, his crucifixion was a turning point of history. God had planned that before creation. Christ would come and die for sinners. How much time have I got left, Alan? Oh, good. I, I, so, so I didn't hear the bell. Usually I don't hear it. So there wasn't no bell this time. Got it. All right. Now here's the He was cut off the land of the living. Almost too soon. But my question is, did he stay dead? No. Amen. And because of the resurrection, now think about this. The resurrection was the proof that God was pleased with the sacrifice Jesus made. And because of that, even though he was cut off short early in the land of the living, he will have a lot of future children. And how many know it's still going on today? People all the world coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So even though they crucified him, God had prophesied, if you will, that through the servant, God's plan for the salvation of the world was going to prosper, and it is prospering even today. He returned to life. He accomplished salvation for many because he paid the penalty for our sins. Thank God for that. Now, by the way, once you, once we're saved, we'll be preaching more about that this morning. We are now counted righteous. And because of his saving work, Isaiah prophesied that he would be highly exalted at the right hand of the Father. And we know that happened at the ascension. And I want you to realize something this morning. Because Christ has victory, we have victory. <laughs> and Jesus shares with all the redeemed the blessings, if you will, of his spoils and his victory over sin and Satan. Folks, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What a Savior. And one of these days, and folks, it's going to happen. I don't care what the world says. doesn't matter how many reject him. One of these days, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord of all. Now, we know that Jesus sacrificed for us. He died for our sins. So how can we live to honor him? 
My question is, how can we not live to honor Him? Amen? After all He's done for us, after all the price He paid for my sins, how can I not? But how do I do that? And by the way, we talked about it earlier for a moment there. Early on, it, it cost a lot of believers their life. And by the way, across our world today, people are still dying for their faith in Christ. And throughout history, multitudes of people have sacrificed their very lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And i got to confess, folks, sometimes I'm ashamed of myself because sometimes I don't want to leave my comfort zone. You ever been there? And yet God says, I gave it all for you. That's why we need to be about the Father's business. He was cut off from the land of the living. But don't you know that since his death and resurrection, literally millions, millions have come and they've found life through Jesus Christ. I want to suggest to you, no, I want to just tell you plain out this morning. No other person in history has inspired so much activity and in such a glorious, glorious way. Folks, Jesus Christ made a difference in our world. And thank God if you, if those who are Christians today, we can testify He has made a difference in our lives. Now, it's interesting, get to Revelation, and John gets a picture of people coming to heaven to worship, and John said there's so many worshipers, you can't even number them. Falling on their face before God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our worship should come natural. Worship Him in the gratitude for offering Himself. Worship Him for becoming our sacrifice. And I want to say today, folks, I think there's a hymn called Stand Up for Jesus. Amen. We need to stand up for Jesus no matter what the rest of the world may do. Let's apply it. Worship Jesus with your words and your actions because he suffered and died for you. Let's take one question. We have a couple minutes here. Do you ever experience any kind of emotion whenever you take time to really consider what Jesus has done for you? Do you ever experience any kind of emotions when you really consider what Jesus has done for you? Say what? Oh, isn't it true? Yeah. Overwhelming? All right. Somebody else. Somebody else. Relief? Joy? Thanksgiving? Humility? He's been so good to us. Jesus paid the price. I'm so glad that he did. Next week, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be studying about the matchless one. Let's stand together.
Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you, God, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for sending your, sending your son to die in our place, taking our sin and our guilt and nailing it to that cross. No wonder they call him the Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless each one of you. Thank you for coming.